Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Cold Shower Podcast. And if it's your first time, then I am super stoked that you're here and giving us a listen to kind of see what we're all about. Now, per usual, before we get started, I want to ask you guys if you have not yet left a review for this podcast on iTunes and you like the content, the guests that I'm having, the lessons that are being taught, the wisdom that is being shared, then please do leave a review. Uh, it'd be greatly appreciated as a lot of effort goes in to this project, not just from me, but also the people that take time out of their schedules to participate in the conversations. Now, I want to give a little preview of this actual episode. This is um, one was really fun and something that I definitely feel reinforced after, feel motivated, because there, I know now that there is another person out there with a very similar mission to mine, and it was awesome to just be able to chop it up with him for about an hour and a half. So my guest was Logan Call. He's a local food chef, which that already makes him cool enough. He's a chef. I like to eat food. He's just doing some really cool stuff. And even in something like being a chef, he is caring about the environment, looking to the future, trying to preserve and really rehabilitate a lot of our world through the use of food and really not just sustain our environment, but try to regenerate it. And so he calls himself a regenerative food chef, which is a really cool idea. And he goes into what exactly that means and how he's going to try to continue his work in the future so that generations down the line, people can enjoy the same environment and world that we're currently living in. But with the caveat that he actually wants it to be a little bit better. And it's the first time that I've really heard a take like that. So we talked about that. But then also, he's someone who started a event in the community called Dinner, Debate, and Discourse. So that is where he gathers people from the community that want to participate and brings them in, provides food, and then has a panel where people can debate and discuss kind of some hot topics, either in the local community or even on a larger scale. So he's someone who's a lot like me that feels like these important conversations, whether they are regarding politics or whatever other topics you can think of that seem to really get people in a tizzy, especially on social media. Um, They just aren't happening enough. We aren't exploring the thoughts and opinions of other people. We're just spewing out what we think is correct and putting it all over social media. We're not having those important conversations to even help us determine if we're standing in the right spot on some of these very important issues. And instead of having those conversations and coming to a a better place of understanding. Instead, we are relegating our ideas to 10 or 15 words on a status or some derogatory picture of the president or another congressperson, whatever it might be. And that's something that we are really not happy about. And so we talked about that and we talked about how we hope that through this podcast and also the event that he created, that we can make some changes that people will maybe find some more common ground on some of these things because what we realized through our conversation is that we came from very different backgrounds, but we have a lot in common. And some of that is just our, our compassion and our, our willingness to want to help the society, our society, come to that understanding and present them with opportunities to share their ideas in a healthy capacity. But then what was really cool is that even with all these areas that we had an agreement, we found that we still differ in in a few areas. And so we even approached some of those subjects and had a conversation. 
And I'm looking forward to being able to spend more time with Logan, whether that's in the capacity of a friend or um, helping him out at some of his events and just continuing to, to learn from somebody like him and kind of fueling my own fire because he's out there doing a lot of the same um, stuff, but at just such a high level. And, and I look forward to a continued relationship with him. And I hope that um, after you guys listen to this episode, if you have any thoughts about it, please feel free to, to reach out to either of us and share some of those things. I, I definitely welcome that. And we do, we, we kind of talk politics for one of the first uh, times that I have in this, in this episode. I approach some of my issues that I have with President Trump and, and the words that he uses and, and how hurtful I think that some of the stuff that I see on Facebook um, and Twitter has really become and, and just how it is not at all helpful in furthering anybody's mission. And, and despite the good intentions that we might have behind our missions, if we can't properly convey why those things need to happen, then we're not going to make progress really in any capacity. And so that was what I take issue with. And that is what I shared. And so I hope that no one thinks that I'm just ganging up on uh, the president or conservatives or anything like that. But I think just because of what I see so often on my own personal Facebook page, and a lot of that has to do with where I grew up, that's where my attention is drawn to. And so I, I did try to stay in the middle of the aisle as best I could, but I did want to give the disclaimer that it may seem kind of slanted uh, in regards to some of the topics and conversation that that we did have. But I want to let you guys know before the episode begins that I really I take issue with with anybody, any side, any person that is using derogatory or what I consider to be uh, hateful uh, rhetoric, and that it has nothing to do with political party. So I hope that uh, those of you can be understanding of that and just try to get to the core of the lesson in this episode and, and take it for what it's worth. Thanks, guys. On to the episode. everybody and welcome to this episode of the cold shower podcast my guest today is logan call he is a regenerative food chef but also uh, a very deep thinker and the founder of an event in town locally here that is called dinner debate and discourse and as i stumbled across that on facebook i was able to read the description and kind of what he hopes to accomplish with that event and like i told him it almost felt like i had written it myself i think we're on such similar wavelengths with the ideas that we have and so I'm curious to find out from him today, first, just his thoughts on food and, and why that is such a passion for him, but then also how he clearly is using food as a vehicle to lead to deeper discussion, better connections, new relationships, and uh, maybe bridging some gaps and some divides, which I talk about a lot on this podcast and really why you know I've started this whole thing. So Logan, go ahead and introduce yourself. Sure, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. This is a total blast. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm relatively new to Michigan myself. Been up here for a year and a half or so, um, and boy, it, it is kind of hard to introduce myself sometimes and, and and figure out how to properly do so. But um, I think at the end of the day, it, for me, it I care about community, community building. Um, and food is is a means of doing that for me. Um, I didn't. I wasn't always in food professionally, started in media, broadcast journalism, and 
I've just kind of been very fortunate in my entire life to, for the most part, work for myself and really kind of like figure out and find ways in which to connect people and make a difference and, and how to do that. Um, and it, it's been a really remarkable journey that led me to food um, and really grateful to, to never really work a day. In, well, that's not true. I've had some terrible jobs, but <laughs> <laughs> for the most part, really have a lot of fun along this way. And it's really led me to have a wide variety of experiences that has really influenced where I'm at now. Um, and moving to this area, the intention was really to set down roots and establish myself in a community because I've I've traveled and moved around a lot. Um, and so this was kind of like a, this area really feels like it could be home and to really take the, the cumulative experiences that I've had and really just kind of build out a vision here in this area. So um, yeah, we could do a deep dive on, on, on everything I've done if, if, if so desired. But uh, yeah, so right now it's, it's about using food as a means of, of connection and uh, communication and, and community building and kind of really building out what, what the future of food looks like and maybe even what the future of being a, a chef looks like as well. Yeah, awesome. I think that what you shared and just your whole journey and everything is there's a lot of commonality with a lot of other people that I've spoken to, especially in this area, because you have such a beautiful place that maybe some people were raised here and then they leave and then they come back, or maybe some people are completely new. They discovered the magic of this place somewhere along the lines and decided to, to stick it out here. Um, can you explain exactly what regenerative food chef is? And did I say that correctly? Yeah, sure. Regenerative food chef. I, it's, I don't even know if it's a title that really exists. I've been known to come up with titles that are somewhat original and random. But um, so regenerative food, regenerative food system, which is really the kind of the idea that I've been trying to actively promote and just get more traction. Um, I'm certainly not the one who came up with regenerative food uh, systems or thinking or practices. Regenerative, I think, really kind of started within the farming community. But um, we hear a lot about sustainability and sustainable food practices, sustainable farming, whatever it might be. Um, and, you know, the definition of sustainability is is to sustain, which is to sustain where we're currently at is not sustainable because where we're currently at is not sustainable. So the idea of re- regeneration is to really regenerate health, regenerate soil health, regenerate all these things. So regenerative is we need to um, be better than where we're currently at. We don't want to just simply sustain. We want to regenerate health, both human and environmental health. Um, So yeah, so regenerative is like, let's go beyond sustainability. Um, And, you know, I think part of me acknowledges that it's just another term. You know, it's like organic kind of had its heyday. And now it's like, we have a lot of great farmers who aren't certified organic because the process is so crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, so part of me recognizes that maybe I'm just using another term that somewhere down the line become was ended up just being a fad. But as I looked at different terms and systems and approaches, I felt like regenerative had the best shot at really having longevity, um, and something to really work towards because if we create a regenerative food system, that'd be unbelievably amazing and, and would probably set us up for um, 
a real future, uh, a healthy future. Um, so that's kind of the, that that's, so that's kind of the idea. So in terms of a regenerative food chef, it's just, you know, it's not possible to be a regenerative food chef right now, but it's working towards that doing, uh, my best to source responsibly and consider environmental and human health, um, with whatever we're making, um, and really just taking the optimal route. Um, and also just my own personal health and well-being, along with anybody who works for me on events, just kind of taking a whole systems approach to work in the kitchen outside of it, who we work with, with sourcing farmers, things like that. So yeah, it's just really what I think it, (laughs) the, uh, the, the synopsis of that would be, it's just a, it's a step beyond sustainability, kind of that seventh generation, kind of that idea of like really doing, really doing the absolute best that we can, not simply saying that we want to be good. We want to, we want to create and work towards a future that will be around for a long time. Cause I think, I think of the word sustainable as kind of one of those like current buzzwords that you said, like organic was a really popular word for a long time. And I think sustainable might be like that too. And up until I discovered you and had this conversation earlier right now, I thought kind of sustainability was like as good as it gets. Right. You know, and it's cool to, you know, take an approach that can go beyond that and maybe give people an even greater sense of responsibility. Because if where we're at, if we can be better than where we're at, then why would we want to sustain this, this, you know, which sometimes is mediocrity or, or, you know, so that regenerative approach it's actually really cool to think about, and I hadn't really ever considered that. Yeah, I, I, I do. And again, I'm a little weary of the idea that it, it might just be a buzzword and it might just be another one of those things, um, and which is why I try to just talk more in in general about being conscious and and, and just living and working in, in the, most, in the op- most optimal way possible. And again... Uh, the idea of seven, seven generations, thinking seven generations in the future with what you're doing currently, you know, that's kind of an age, age old, um, philosophy that, um, I also, that's kind of how I relate, uh, regenerative to that kind of concept. So that's an age old philosophy. When do you think that that maybe got pushed aside? Like how many generations ago, or were we like one of the first, I I assume we're close to the same age. Like, yeah. I love food history. So speaking from a food history perspective, not just overall, because there's a lot to digest there, but where we really went off the rails was, um, food-wise, was towards the end of World War II. Um, at the end of World War II, we actually, because of the war, and the, the war was depleted so many resources, and everything that was produced was sent to the war efforts, um, there was this nationwide propaganda campaign called Victory Gardens. The idea being, you know, grow your own food because we're sent, you know, we're sending all the food to the troops. Um, so at the end of World War II, fifty percent of Americans had Victory Gardens, um, and which is just crazy to think about. So like fifty percent of Americans were were at least in some way growing their own food, um, and in terms of like self self-sustaining that's as good as it got and sure i'm sure it wasn't the greatest quality and and things were were hard in their own ways during that time but then what happened is all this technology especially 
um, from the chemistry standpoint um, that was developed for the war was like, well, what do we do with it now? Um, And all the advancements, so machinery too, um, and most of it found its way into agriculture. Um, Hmm. And a lot of the laws and policies that were put in place in terms of uh, farming and subsidies all kind of happened in this in during this time period and and after the war ended you know america just just started booming i was where other countries were left in really dire positions america went kind of had this this boom um to thanks in part to all these advancements in technology refrigeration uh, transportation all these things um and so that just lent itself to the age of convenience where you know all these new products, all this, the shelf life, all these things. Um, it was just all these advancements and it was all great. It made life easier, right? You could microwave things and, you know, all these things. And, um, you know, what was lost in the midst of all that was our connection to nature and what was being put into these products. We didn't question it. It tasted good and white bread was all the rage. And um, so, yeah, it was like during this time where then just progressed from there. And things have just continued to ramp up to the point where we're at today. And um, I think really what, at the end of the day, it was that severing of our ties to nature. I mean, one could argue it had happened to some degree before then, but um, these advancements in technology and machinery and things like that just didn't require us to understand nature at the level that is needed um, if you're farming you know, in a more organic, regenerative, whatever you might want to call it, way. Um, and so, yeah, so then it's just been this 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 progression. And then I think, you know, as early as the 70s, 80s, you started to have this more renaissance and this, this rebuttal to these practices and organic started to take off. And there's folks who really woke up. And what happened was that production just started to die down. You know, farmers, you know, would using machinery and chemicals would be out on their land and using them. And then nature has always outsmarted us. We're still at this point, right? So what would happen is, you know, yields would go down and, um, there'd be these issues and, um, you know, these big industries were, have always been very good about outsmarting nature and coming up with the next new thing to, to fight weeds and all these things. But, over time, you know, our, our soil has just been degraded and all these things and people who were still in tune with the land saw this and started to kind of be like, this is not, this is, we're not on a good path. Um, and so, you know, now we're kind of at this, I don't know, tipping point, this kind of butting heads of, you know, kind of the big industrial chemical farming compared to this like understanding of what it has done to our soil. But you know, in fairness, it's, uh, you know, we're also not at a point where, you know, it, just the way in which we are currently situated, it's it's not like we can just flip a switch and go back to small-scale organic farming, which is a real challenge. You know, there's a lot of folks out there who want to shift and change, but then there's just, you know, some economic realities and the realities of uh, the position we've put ourselves in. Um and so it's interesting. I, I have conversations with people constantly and, you know, as someone who wants to see the best for our future and for soil and for the earth in general, it's you, 
you want to fight for the absolute best and you're like, why can't we just like, you know, all be regenerative like right now. But you know, it's like, you, know, you talk to the you know, people who, whose lives depend on, on their, you know, on agriculture and all these things and the reality of how many people we have. And, um, there's a lot to, there's a lot to work on right now. Um, and there's always going to, there's going to be at least for some time, a, a balance be between the two until we can, um, really figure things out. Cause unfortunately too, the, the age of the farmer is quite old and, you know, the idea of working six to seven days a week, really long, hard hours, not surprisingly does not appeal to the younger generation. So there's just so many issues at play, which is why I love food. Food's kind of this, this way of it's, uh, it sustains us. So we kind of have to, we have to figure out this food equation right now. So it's, it's fun, incredibly frustrating. Um, but also exciting because there's a lot of passionate people out there. And that's what, <clears throat> like when you're trying to make a change like this, you make the change in your own life. So I know that you're practicing all these things that you're speaking on. And then I'm this way too. When I make like a positive change in my life, I forget that like not everybody can just do that. They're in a different place. They maybe can't implement some of those things that are beneficial. But at the very least, we can have conversations about them. You know, so that we can share, I can share with them what's worked for me. They can share with me maybe why they can't do some of those things or why they're thinking this way or why I should maybe try something different too. And so I want to get right to the um, dinner debate and discourse idea that you've started in Traverse City. So give people an overview of what that is. And then I'm excited to just kind of share the whole importance of that. And yeah, why absolutely. we as people should do that. Yeah, well, yeah, I'd, yeah, I'd love to just, I'd also love to just hear your perspective too um, on it. But yeah, so dinner, debate, and discourse, the idea, I had this idea five years ago probably. Um, I've always been a political junkie. I love politics, obviously disheartened with the state of politics in our country and in the world, but I've always had that passion. I love watching debates, um, as frustrating as it is. Television debates suck. <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah, so it was. It, it, I've always had this idea of wanting to, to, to try to bring back actual debate, uh, debates about ideas. It doesn't have to be necessarily political, although at the end of the day, I guess they kind of have to be. Um, so yeah, once I landed here and was like, all right, well, I'm gonna really kind of settle in here. Um, I just kind of started messing with this idea and talking to some folks and seem like there was like interest in it. And again, it's like, well, how do you bring people out? Like, how do you get people engaged with wanting to debate and talk about ideas? And, um, that's kind of where the dinner aspect came in was like, well, everybody loves food. Everybody has to eat. Um, I didn't want to compete necessarily with things going on in the weekend. So, well, let's make it a weekday event where we offer food as part of it. So you don't have to worry about cooking and you can just come out and enjoy some good food, listen to a debate, engage if you want. That's kind of like the, the kind of the idea of around dinner debate and discourse. The name is to kind of combine those three elements. Um, but yeah, the, the inspiration is just getting people in person to debate ideas. Um, and it's just, 
I put the idea out there and worked with some uh, Devin from uh, Oriana in particular. We kind of collaborated on some ideas and kind of fleshed it out a little bit. And but there was just positive responses anytime I brought this idea up. But I still wouldn't have expected such a positive response that we had for the first one to to pack a building on a on a really cold, icy, snowy night was really amazing and very gratifying to know that people want this. Um, you know, I think it's very easy to like get sucked into like technology and media and the news and think we're all kind of just in our own bubbles and in our own heads and, you know, happy there. And I think the truth is, is that just on a human level, we actually are craving for, uh, something like this. So, uh, yeah, it just, we, we had our first one and, uh, the interest is there and um yeah i mean i have big hopes for the the idea overall um, i'd love to see it as just a template that can be modeled uh, elsewhere too yeah it was really cool so i made it out to that first event and yeah it was a cold snowy night and i was equally impressed with just the amount of people and so what that says is that the, there are people out there that know that there's a need for this kind of conversation to take place and I think in general, people might feel like more um, up to date, have more information than at any other point, but the information they're getting isn't like from our fellow man anymore. It doesn't seem like, like it's just a lot of talking heads that take these sides that they're, they could be driven by something that we have no idea, you know, what that is. And we're not having these conversations and trying to relate to one another at a level that we should be. And so to use food which everybody can relate to the importance of food and, and a lot of people love food and to use that as a way to get people together and then have a conversation because I think that that's probably um, some great conversations just historically have always happened around the dinner table. Yeah. And what I've noticed, some of the changes is because there's just this like line in the sand now between what one side thinks and what another side thinks that those conversations are just avoided at the dinner table now especially if you're with a company that you don't quite know what their thoughts and opinions are. And so if I bring together like two different groups of people, so I have friends that are kind of on both sides of this aisle. Sure. And I always like if they ever come together and we have a, a meal or, or go out, you know, or whatever, I'm always curious, like, where's this going to go? Like, who's going to be the first one to say something that, you know, in regards to politics yeah. and what's that going to lead to? Um, but thankfully, like when that does happen, I find that there is a lot of understanding that takes place. Mm-hmm. The hard part is just starting the conversation a lot of times. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's that it's that it's, it's not like, I think that our natural human reaction is not to be a dick. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like we, yeah, I, I think, yeah, that's my experience too. It's like when, even like with folks that like are pretty hardline opposite spectrum compared to where some of my ideologies land you know there there is there's just like i'm list i'm at least listening to you or at least i'm not i'm you know we have this warped perception of like the talking heads on on news and or like the 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 commentary that exists on social media that you know it's just saying a result and you know name calling and yelling and things like that and the reality is is in person it's just not like that Right. So yeah, it's that, it's that barrier, just getting across that barrier. Yeah. And that's like the most frustrating thing for me is that, especially with this rise of memes and just these short little paragraphs <laughs> or these 
two minute articles. You know, they yeah. have articles that say this takes two minutes to read and it sums up everything you need to know about immigration or whatever it is. Yeah. And it's like, you're just inviting people to, um, either just if they're already on your side, then they'll click the like button and you'll get that little source of reaffirmation or whatever you're looking for. Yeah. But then you're really further entrenching people on the opposite side. You're pushing them away because what you're sharing is not inviting any type of conversation, not giving any relatable information, you know, any common ground for them to join you. And when you share information like that, you know, like a, a meme with 10 words on it or a quote that, you know, I, the one I see is like these quotes that Denzel Washington had that that <laughs> sure. he supposedly said, and then you look it up and it's like, he never said that. Someone yeah. posted this quote next to a famous actor Correct. to just reaffirm yeah, what you they can, believe. You can say whatever you want. Yeah, exactly. There's not fact-checking. No, and, and that's what's so disappointing. But what I have to try to remind myself is is that even those people on Facebook or Twitter that I don't agree with just that little snippet that they're sharing, what I have to try to remember is if I was able to dig a little deeper or I was able to have a conversation with them in person, we would find more common ground. Yeah. But then again, those people also, myself included, need to take responsibility for the information that we're putting out there, the things that we're sharing. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's really frustrating. And and there's so many folks that I you know, I'm friends with and then in real life and then, you know, on Facebook as well. And, and you know who those people are and you know, you, the conversations that you've had with them and then, yeah, they'll be the ones to post a meme or like post something that is so factually incorrect. It's just, just like, and you know that like, you know where they're coming from because you know them personally and you know the views that they're, they're trying to communicate through them but it's so dumbed down and it's so ridiculous that, yeah, their, their kind of side of it is lost, you know? And, you know, what, what, what's lost when you post some short form whatever is, you know, the reason why we hold our ideas and our opinions is based on, you know, just who we are, how we were raised, the, the experiences that we had, which are really valuable, you know, it's, um, that's what it, that's what I've recognized in my life is like, it's so important, like to hold these conversations with people and to hear your opinions and ideas out loud. Um, because a lot of them could be really ridiculous and stupid, Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like, I have some friends and family who it, I always say like, no, you, you need to talk to people, like you need to talk to people and like, you need to like socialize in these ways so you can hear yourself say them and get feedback in response. And it's been the same for me. And, you know, just listening to, again, like some of these ideals that I don't necessarily share, change my opinions and ideas of the world constantly, because, um, when you hear them in person and there's, and it's being shared by someone, who has a very distinct, reasonable reason for having these views, it really shifts your perspective, right? Like, you know, some terrible meme is not the thing that convinced me about what you're trying to communicate. It's saying to do the exact opposite. Yeah. But if we're in person and we're having a conversation and you're in it, and it's more long form, and it's actually really funny when I was putting the program together for dinner debate and discourse, um, 
I, like the reason I love podcasts is like, it's long form. It's, it's actually, you know, it's like extended conversations and which is, you know, which is what I'm really after. And I was putting the program together and I was writing the introduction and, and it, you know, I was like, there's a lot I want to say here, you know, and I want to give people like this, this perspective and like the reasoning behind it. And I had like a, a rough draft and shared it with my girlfriend and she was like, she read through it and she was like, this is, this is, this is too long. <laughs> and it's not to say that she wasn't right. Cause it was, it was longer than it needed to be at the time, but it like set me off on this rant about like, no, like people need to read. <laughs> like yeah. people like what people can't, aren't expected to be able to sit and read this for like five minutes. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, it, yeah. Taking some time and, and, and allowing ourselves to, to listen and, to have extended conversations and exchanges is so important. Yeah, you're exactly right. And I, I totally know what you mean about the the writing of it because I've written my fair share of different blog posts on my um, like website and on my Facebook page and everything. And like sometimes it, it's frustrating because you just know how many people out there just aren't reading it because yeah. you have to read it. Yeah. Um, but then it's also nice when you find out that someone maybe you didn't expect took the time to sit down and read it. And I think what's worked for me is having to like build up some equity with people, even people that I don't agree with necessarily or wouldn't agree with on the surface. I have to like get them to trust me through my various mediums. So I'm not trying to share anything offensive on my Facebook page. They're not going to find that on my page. They're going to find a lot of middle ground stuff where that's where I want to be because I want to be able to take in both sides. And that's also a constant struggle because there are times where on a specific topic, there's just one right and there's one wrong, but it's really not as common as what we think. Like when you think of the hot button topics, you know, absolutely. there's, there's very rarely like one right, one wrong because we're not getting the context to the other people's side. Yeah. You know, and it's appropriate on Martin Luther King day. And I, like I'm scared to even talk about be just because his legacy is just so sure wonderful. Yeah. And I, I don't know if I've earned the right to even like speak on some of the things that he was fighting against, but it's like, I've seen so many times where people will take quotes of his and, mm. and, and use them to beef up their argument against some protests that is going on sure. or something like that. And it's like, what you're lacking is that like historical context between yeah. what took place, unless you lived through that, unless you were fully immersed in what was happening, then just you know reading a little bit about Martin Luther King or, or one of his quotes, you're not really doing it justice. Yeah. Like in regards to some of these ma- major social issues that we have, mm-hmm. so yeah, it's strange. There's a lot that you have to take into account if you really truly want to be educated on it. Yeah, and and that's just it, and and I think that that's a struggle in this, in the time that we're living in, right? Because there's, because now of technology and the internet, everything is available to us. And it's, there's so much information out there. I struggle with it all the time. Like I have, I could argue that I've like started 25 books. I've finished none of them because there's constantly all this, all this information coming at you. And yeah. So like, for instance, it's like, yeah, you do like, there's people reference historical whatever constantly and it's it's impossible that we're we're going to be able to be educated and i think enough in some of you know it's like to what you're saying it's 
it's a, just a difficult thing because it's also very hard to tell if it was written with a certain bias mm-hmm. at this point in time. And there's so much out there. So like if you Google Martin Luther King <laughs> and whether it's something specific, like a speech or like whatever it might be, hard to say if you're going to read something that is biased in one direction or the other um, or is leaving out certain parts. I mean, that's like a whole other thing, like with, you know, school textbooks these days, like who's writing them and like how, and it's just from somebody's perspective. So it is, it's a, it's a challenge. I think that's one of the things that we really have to figure out moving forward is just the amount of information out there, the ability to, distort that information um, and to distort that information for the purpose of whatever it is that you're talking about is um, is a really difficult thing. But again, I think part, how you do that is by being in person, right? Because mm-hmm. it's you're in person and it, it's like, um, yeah, it, you have to be more respectful. You have to be... M- more careful because you know like in a setting like dinner debate discourse somebody can raise their hand and be like well that's just not right mm-hmm. you know and so i think that'll help i think that we've gone too obviously too far in, in the, our reliance of technology and as a form you know it's a great way of, in terms of building one's knowledge and research and all these things but it's a means of communication it's just about as bad as it gets <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah and it, it gives people a platform which in some cases is good, but other times it's like, you know, we already said this, but you're just sharing ideas that have no depth whatsoever yeah. because, you know, you're limited to a certain number of characters or or whatever it is. And, and yeah, I think if people took their approach that they use on Facebook or Twitter to in-person conversations and just kept it so surface level and a lot of times like hateful, mm-hmm. then we would end up coming to blows like, every conversation but that doesn't happen you know very often because um in person you are forced to try to find the common ground because when you you know that you need to find that in order to continue a conversation that's like what small talk is anytime you meet somebody you're trying to find that common ground and if you both think it's cold outside then you can you know continue the conversation from there and yeah we have to actively seek that stuff out now yeah it is yeah it's very interesting too and you know it I think we have be- arrived at a point that things can are so heated and, and people are so angry that there is still plenty of opportunity for confrontation. I know that there's there was confrontation with the protests that happened just a couple of days ago, and there's still been a lot of news stories about it. But so that was part of like the antithesis for dinner debate and discourses. My main fundamental first goal is creating an environment that's respected and conscious and inclusive so that anybody can feel welcome to share their opinions um, because that that is still needed. And it's interesting there there was without like naming specific, obviously, situ- people in, in, in moments, but like just in in the first inner debate and discourse when there's there were just comments from the audience. There was, you could, there was like, there was, there was comments both that felt, you could feel like that they came from a place of like frustration, but respect. Mm -hmm. And then like frustration and unfiltered. And you, 
there's this different in, difference yeah. in energy right. in how people respond. Um, and both of them are very understandable. Like I get both of them. Like, um, I, you know, it's like that personal filter you have to constantly be running cause you get really passionate and heated about these things. Um, but we, we really want to foster that environment where it's like, you can be really passionate and really like worked up about whatever you care about. But when you speak to everybody in the room, you can say like, no disrespect or like fr- coming from a place of like understanding where we are but here's my opinion, you know, um, cause that just makes all the difference in the world for other people to be able to listen. It's just like, just like online communications. Um, so it's, yeah, it's about fostering that. And it's not, it's not easy. I mean, it was, it was funny, you know, I maybe, you know, obviously it was labeled as dinner debate and discourse, but it was like, we, uh, at the beginning of the event, I was like, you know, this is, a long-term vision and, you know, the idea is to work towards real debate and I don't fully expect us to get there, you know, tonight, let alone maybe just even in general for the first few. But so much of the feedback that I got was like, this is not, this was not a debate. This was like, mm-hmm. and my gut reaction was to be like, oh, you know, like, are you kidding? Like, you would- <laughs> yeah, I said that already. Yeah, it's yeah. like, yeah. but I sat with it and I just, and I realized that I think it actually was a debate, but it was a debate that it was a debate in the sense that this is like the place where we're at, that we're going to have to grow into being comfortable with disagreeing and actually debating like in the way that I think people's perception of it is like we have a ways to go until we grow into being comfortable with that um, concept because it's one thing to be debating somebody one-on-one, but it's a whole nother thing when you have like five respected community members and an audience full of respected community members and actually like disagreeing with, um, with one another, you know, it, uh, it was interesting. Um, Taylor, uh, one of our, one of the participants from food rescue, floated the idea of like, you know, five, $15 minimum wage. And, uh, then, you know, Andrea from Providence was like, well, that would put us under as a farm, which was made my favorite moment. Like yeah. that's what I was looking for. Right. But then afterwards I heard feedback that like people felt like Providence was being attacked and I was, and that just boggled my mind. I, I just couldn't wrap my head around the fact that somebody could perceive that as like an attack or like that people like, you know, that the idea, the, it was suggested that like, you know, somebody was supporting the idea of like Providence, yeah, Providence going under, you know, is, but again, this is just such a learning lesson and just like, you know, and it's not, it's not just a learning lesson for me or folks who will end up participating in debate and discourse, but it's, it's a learning lesson for um, the audience. I really look forward to like setting the stage better the next time. And, and really hopefully opening people up to like, hey, listen, like this isn't, this isn't going to be easy. It's not going to be comfortable. But everybody who's participating is agreeing to come from a place of respect um, and uh, simply talking about ideas is, I don't know, it's, just, it's really interesting. It's, it, I'm fascinated by it. I love it. And uh, yeah, we'll just see how it grows. It'll be very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean debating out you know at a 
place outside of Facebook is kind of like a foreign concept to people yeah. right now. And you're exactly right. I think you had a, a really good awareness and how you even said it in the description is that, you know, this thing is going to be a work in progress. Like I know what I want it to look like, but I understand it's not going to take that shape immediately. And so when you have that self-awareness and then like you already know that you are going to require some practice to effectively, you know, mediate everything. <laughs> Absolutely. But like, yeah, I didn't think about that, that the audience members also, because you're allowing them to be involved in the experience too, like they need practice as well because right. that's probably the first time in a very long time that they've been invited to share ideas in front of 80 other people. Yeah. So. Yeah. And just, and just listen too, and like, and how, and again, we all like listen with our own personal bias and that'll be like one thing I encourage is like, do your best to remove your individual bias while listening, which is obviously nearly impossible, but it's a fun, <clears throat> it's a fun practice. And I, you know, I just learned so much. I mean, you know, I, I'm, I look forward to like, you know, starting to work on the idea of perfecting the art of moderation. And, you know, ha- obviously part of it's hard for me, like to not interject my own personal mm-hmm. opinion, which is, which will be somewhat of a challenge, but I'd rather just set the stage. I've always been someone who'd rather just like, I like learning from folks and rather set the stage, but you know, I just like overlook small things. Like we didn't have a break, right? Mm. <laughs> this was part of the feedback. Like it'd be nice. Like, yeah, you had a break. So people like stretch their legs and stuff. And it came back to bite me. Cause the last half was a debate or last like 30 minutes of debate. I had to pee so <laughs> bad. <Right. laughs> and I just saw myself like fading away in terms of my ability to like really understand what was going on. Cause all I could think about was the fact that I had to go to the bathroom. So, um, it'll be really fun, like shaping this and, um, where Dana and I kind of like form probably like a, a steering committee to, to just kind of help with the, the growth and the kind of, I just want to make sure that there's a lot of different perspectives, not in the room during the event, but just in terms of the formation of, um, the different, the different debates we're going to have. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that you brought up the example of like the $15 minimum wage, because I think there's a lot of topics that unfortunately, you know, if you agree or disagree with whatever this topic is, then you're, you're lumped into one side or the other. So I think about the things like, you know, abortion or immigration and all those Mm -hmm. things. And it's like, um, if you take a stance on one of those, then you're automatically lumped as a liberal or you're automatically lumped as a conservative and more people need to try to figure out where they lie as opposed to just like deciding because that's how they were raised or you have to experience things. And that's why I always say like, I don't, I'm not sure. Like there's things that I feel pretty strongly about, but even during the course of the debate that took place um, for your event, I was like, ah, $15 minimum wage. Good idea. And then like the next person spoke and I was like, well, maybe not. (laughs) And so I kept going back and forth. And I think that more people need to do that. Yeah. Um, I think there's some things that it's important just as a as a person to stand firm on something, but then a lot of other things we need to be willing to be just more fluid on how mm-hmm. we are approaching things and yeah, I think that that's something that people are going to benefit from at the event is you know if they can go in with open minds, then they are going to find that you know they're shifted and they're more educated on certain topics because that's the other thing is people yeah. need to just become more educated Mm -hmm, so that they can have a a better opinion about stuff. Yeah. It's, 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 it's interesting. I feel like, I feel like people kind of get off on this 
of the concept of just like just kind of drowning yourself in your own like ideals and like where you stand on an issue like just fully embracing going all out and I and I have to so I first went to school for broadcast journalism and there's a couple just fundamental things that I learned there that have just been so applicable and I've appreciated so much in my life and one of them is just when I the very first thing I did was sports talk radio on our college radio station and um the one of the things that we had to do was we had to um, take the opposite stance from what we believed. And this was sports, so it was fun, right? Like, I was, I did college radio, and then I also did opinion pieces for our college newspaper. And, like, like I would do, like, articles or, like, things, like, on why steroids were so great for baseball or, like, just taking a position of something that I completely didn't agree with at the time doing the research and like figuring out, okay, well, how would I argue this or how would I debate this to make my point? And it was fantastic. It was in that exercise, like I use that constantly, you know, as, as a, a means of like thinking about how somebody else might perceive an issue um, or looking at another side of it that I hadn't considered. Um, and yeah, actively encouraging folks to do that instead of just like trying to reaffirm where you stand. Cause I do, I mean, it is a tough balance. Like you do want to stand firm on sort certain like moral, like just as a person things. But I think more often than not, it's important to keep yourself open to things. Um, and, and that just allows a different perspective on life and it, and it can be hard because it you'll often find yourself being challenged on things you thought you knew for sure. Like I look back and sometimes some things I wrote, like when I was in like college, I was like, I was completely against marijuana. Like mm-hmm. this is the dumbest thing. Like I was like, like drugs should all be illegal. And my complete pers- pers- perspective and opinion on that has completely changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just like one example. Right. But, um, yeah, it's not, I, I guess, you know, it, it often occurs for people as really uncomfortable. And, you know, there's there's a certain comfort level in just knowing who you are. And, you know, like when you open yourself up to the idea that maybe you aren't right or like that you, there's another opinion to think about there, um, that can be, that can definitely be on easy territory. Yeah. So you mentioned that kind of little exercise that you do, the one that you got from college. So where you had to sometimes almost like take the side of something that you might not agree with. Yeah. Well, how do you like approach, um, because media obviously right now is a a big deal. So when you're talking about like the major news networks Mm -hmm. and how it was very clear from the very beginning, you know, up from like, I mean, I think it's always been kind of clear of which side, you know, Fox News is on and which side CNN is on and all those things. But I don't think it was quite as obvious to people until like 2015, 2016, mm-hmm. when you could see each news network like putting their eggs in this candidate's basket. Sure. Um, so how do you like approach media consumption? Is it something that you're really conscious of or do you go all in on one, one place? <laughs> I don't know if you'd even want to say that you do. Yeah, that, but. no, I mean, I think it's interesting. I think it's really hard. It's so hard to like figure out like what you can really rely on as a source for news and um 
because sometimes it can be really subtle. Like you said, I mean, I think as of the main ones, Fox News might be the most, you know, obvious to point out. I think that, you know, someone like CNN, I think they, you know, it's, it's, they clearly go on the side of the left, but they also like, I also know that they have certain hosts that they try to like remain somewhere in the middle, but it's so hard to do that these days. And, you know, I think that even if you're trying to write or talk from the perspective of the middle ground, people are going to interpret one way or the other. Um, so I think I have, in, for the most part, kind of tried to shift a little bit more towards, like when I'm really consuming media or journalism longer form, like I'll, I don't care where I get my headlines from. Like actually my, my main source for just, seeing the headlines is Reddit because mm-hmm. people post links from all manner of websites. So right. I get like Fox's perspective. I get CNN, whatever it is. <clears throat> so I'm constantly looking at like the, the political, there's so many subreddits on Reddit. So I just kind of browse those on a daily basis to kind of pick up on what's going on. Um, and then in terms of like visual media, I like some of what vice news has done with long form journalism, investigative journalism, particularly other parts of the world. There's just not a lot of money being spent on covering stories that are happening outside of America. Like our main media sources here are so obsessed with basically just Trump. Right. <laughs> that's, that's, that's it. And it's really frustrating. Like, it's like, well, I want to know what the rest of our U S government is doing. Like mm-hmm. what's happening with our education while well, we're so focused on simply what Trump is tweeting about. It's, it's right. scary to me. Um, but yeah, so I, I will look at some of Vice News long form journalism. Um, I appreciate The Guardian has some decent stuff. The Intercept, which was started by Glenn Greenwald, does incredible long form journalism. Um, he comes from a libertarian perspective, which is, um, I also really appreciate that. Um, and because so I label myself as an independent. I can't stand either party. I think they're mm-hmm. both corrupt to the core. Yeah. <laughs> just throwing it out there. But um, so I really just like all different perspectives. I I think you know like hearing a libertarian's per- perspective is really important for me because I I take issue with big government in a lot of ways. I you know it's it, the way that it we have evolved in our government is it's just. I don't even know how you try to rebuild, if you will. I like we're just at this point where, you know, it's like there's these programs out there that just keep getting renewed without any oversight every single year, whether it's military, whether it's social security, like and there's these just massive things that are just there there's so many issues. Um so yeah, I and then um I will listen to Democracy Now with Amy Goodman. I love her, um, especially again because like all of her headlines are like around the world. It's not simply just the US. There's US focus, but um so those are a couple of the sources. Um, but I'll 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 pretty much consume whatever, especially like when I'm on Reddit, I'll just like kind of click around and um of course, there's whole sections of comments on Reddit, and while a lot of them are ridiculous, there's also a lot of great perspective, and I love just hearing, because you'll just have a whole collection. You'll have people from all different industries weighing in on these issues, so that also gives me a little bit of a different perspective. Um, 
so yeah, I mean, I consume all different forms. I watch my consumption of it. There's definitely been different points where I, I would go f- way too far down the rabbit hole and, um, it's hard, you know, you, you kind of get overwhelmed by it at certain points. So there is like that limit where I'm like, it's kind of funny with podcasts with me. It's like, I'll start listening to democracy now and I'll just like barely make it through the headlines before I'm like, all right, time to listen to my fantasy football podcast because I can't take any more of this. So, um, yeah, it's, it is interesting. It's, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't know if I found the right balance. I feel like sometimes I, don't consume enough like I'm not informed enough and it's it's like how do you find that balance like like right now for instance my girlfriend is doing a no screen January Mm. and that like concept seems really appealing to me yeah (laughs) to just remove yourself and like from that addictiveness of social media and and like Netflix and things like that um but then I know that part of me would be like ah yeah I need to know what's going on so I don't know I, it's a, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know what the right consumption or like the right sources. I, I guess I, of course I think diversity is key. Right. It's hearing the different perspectives. So. Yeah. I think it's cool to see how you're kind of searching, you know, multiple areas to try to get what you think is well-rounded information. Yeah. Um, because it's confusing to me why some people, so easily can just like hitch their horse to one party or another and then just like so viciously defend someone or so viciously just, you know, speak out against someone else. Mm -hmm. And it's just crazy to me how simple that is for people to do now. And that's what I want is I just want people to like take ownership of their position. So like earn, earn where you're at through thought, through research, through conversation with other people. Um, Because it's not happening at a scale that it should be happening right now. People are just way too willing to just jump to this side or that side without asking of themselves or of others, you know, why should I be where I am right now? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, and to your point, you know, it's like uh, just being willing to you know, being willing to, to hear, being willing to have a different perspective on something you believe in, you know, it's being willing to say like, this is where I I am here, but it's not that I'm unwilling to hear a different perspective, you know, and it's not that I'm not, I, I, I'm welcome another perspective or a different train of thought on something that I believe in. And I think acknowledging that, um, when you're sitting down with somebody or just in general, you know, acknowledging that on social media is a really powerful tool in terms of kind of starting to break that, that idea of just consumption of one source or one, um, perspective. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you'd said for you, you'd had this idea for like the last five years or something like that. For me, I didn't think, I was naive. I was very naive. I didn't think anything like this would was needed until mm-hmm. like 2015, which sure. I guess is almost like five years. But sure. were you a little bit ahead of the curve? Because now I think everybody's aware of like kind of how crazy it's gotten out there yeah. and how important uh, something like this is. Were you ahead of that curve or, or was it like about the same time as what I'm thinking, 2015, 2016, obviously, Trump yeah. and Hillary and just the, right. the stuff that came of that? 
No, I, I think that it was definitely before that time. I think that, yeah, I, yeah, I think, I think we've, we've, I mean, I think that the 2016 election really broke it wide open, but I, I, I mean, it was, to me, I could really see the divides, um, and just the, the rhetoric that I, I didn't care for. And I think part of that really, so I came from a very liberal upbringing and, um, and that had a big influence on me and in, in the sense that like most of my friend groups have always been very liberal and so on and so forth. And, and again, because I guess for a little while now, I've been pretty good about diversification of, you know, my sources of media consumption and things like that. You know, during the Obama administration, there are so many things that I disagreed with. And um, it's hard for me often for, there's just, there's, there's so much that I respect about Obama and his presidency but nobody's perfect at all. Like no president or political party or whatever is perfect. And so I, I, there was, there's been a lot of times where I've surrounded myself with folks who just are so infatuated with Obama and just like, he's like the best. And I'm like, he's good. But like, there's also a lot of things going on here. Like the expansion of drone programs and things like that I really took issue with. And I just didn't like this idea. Again, like when you're in your own bubble, it's just like reinforce, reinforce, reinforce. I'm like, no, like, like I get where you're coming from and I get why you support him so strongly, but there's other things to consider here. There's other things going on and, and we need to strive for better. So I think that that was definitely part of like the strive for wanting like a debate night. And, mm-hmm. um, I, I'm a big fan of, uh, the West Wing, the TV show. Yeah. Rewatched that way too many times. But um, in one of the seasons, they had a debate between the Republican Democratic candidate and where they like had the format set and then they broke it apart and it was like this open format and they were just kind of going at each other. Like, and I felt like, well, that show clearly had a very liberal bias. They did a really nice job at points of. Um, communicating more conservative Republican talking points. They had more of like a moderate Republican presidential candidate. And I just love that. Like, I was like, oh man, this is, so, I, I don't know. It's like, I don't know why it's been like that for me, but to hear different perspective, like to hear like, I just think we need balance. And that's what's so frustrating for me about our government now. It's like, we, like, yeah, democracy would be great. Where like Republicans and Democrats are debating on the floor of the Senate these issues. And we did have bipartisanship. And there was collaboration between these two mindsets because at the end of the day, they, they could even themselves out a little bit to the point where we have some realistic legislation. Um, so yeah, I think that I saw that. I was frustrated by that. I kind of rebelled against that too much of a liberal bubble. Um, and so when I was in LA, yeah, I was like, oh man, it'd be good to have like a debate night. Um, but then I started, I moved around a bit. So um, yeah, so it was. It definitely was before before 2016. It's just kind of acknowledging that desire to get out of that bubble mentality. Yeah. Oh, it's interesting because you said you had a pretty liberal upbringing, and I definitely had a conservative upbringing, so a lot of Christian values were instilled in me. And those are things that I still hold on, but my education, um, being having a social work background, is mm-hmm. like, I don't want to say notorious because that's 
like kind of has a negative connotation, but notoriously liberal, like social work is a very liberal pursuit. And so now I feel like I've gotten like immersed in a little bit of both. And that's like where the search comes from. And then I think something that I'm afraid of, or that I've noticed just as I've taken on the responsibility of having a podcast is it's almost like when like I've I've done a episode that covered like immigration with my cousin who worked with a lot of refugee children mm-hmm. and so I wanted to get like her point of view because I was just seeing how easy it was for people to just put build the wall yeah without ever taking into account the fact that there's like these people are coming here they would much rather live in their own stable country sure. they don't like the only reason they want to be here is is because they want to be safe right and it's a very small amount that are coming here to cause trouble yeah like almost an immeasurable amount yeah and so i wanted to get her perspective on that and it was really valuable i think but it's like for this platform that i have even just inviting these conversations i'm well aware that people are automatically lumping me into the (laughs) left like they're like oh this guy is willing to talk about immigration and willing to entertain a conversation about you know, the realities of it, he must yeah. be a liberal. And right. I've been called that yeah. many times, but I don't identify as that. That is the most, f- that is the hardest part for me about folks who consider themselves in the right wing or conservative is just this idea that the moment you consider another side or another opinion or, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's kind of a talking point, but some facts mm-hmm. that like somehow you've you've gone to the left or you're a liberal now or you've lost your conservative like label like i i that 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 is really hard for me to kind of just wrap my head around you know it's yeah. again it's in the, again inspiration for debate night in in these these bubbles of um where people people are at i but yeah i appreciate that, mm-hmm. that you've taken that perspective um and i think that the more people do especially for someone like you, you know, or other, you know, anybody who has a certain background, right? If you take those steps personally, the people that you're surrounded with will see that. And maybe, yeah, maybe they'll be upset or angry at the onset or whatever, call your names or whatever you might, they might, but it also, you're also providing a different perspective and whether or not that sinks in immediately it does have an impact. It's kind of like um, with me with food. Um, I'm I'm basically 100% vegan. I'm not like staunch. I'm not mm-hmm. um, like I'm not like if somebody like slipped an egg or something, I'm not going like, to right. freak out. Um, but it's been very hard for me to associate with much of the vegan community because they're very aggressive. Yeah. And, um, and that's really hard for me to see and... and witness and then also to I, I I hesitate to be lumped into that community it's it's very funny actually because like I I think I actively avoid saying that I'm vegan because I don't want people to have this perception of what a typical vegan is yeah which is gonna... a weird thing it's a we- it's hard it's like I want to say that I am but I also don't want that um, immediate bias to be thrown at me yeah people like cower and, and feel like you're about to attack them or something. If or yeah, or just, yeah, they, they have this perception of what, and it's not to say that that's not unreasonable. Again, there has been a lot, the vegan community in many ways, the activist community to me has not behaved in responsible ways. Um, but so what's interesting though for me is like my approach to veganism is like, 
it's very hands off. I don't like actively talk about it. What instead I do is I just cook good people good food mm-hmm. and my friends will come over and I'll just be cooking. And yeah, maybe they know by now that I am, but they just enjoy a good meal. And I'm never like, I never, I never like bring it up like why they should do this or like anything like that. Instead, it's just like, this is who I am. I need to cook you some good food. And this is like what I'm doing with in my life. And what's interesting is that the res- result of that is that there's been so many of my friends who like will come to me out of the blue, just be like, Hey, like I'm, I'm considering going vegan or like, I'm, I'd like to incorporate this more. Can you like help me out? Um, and I just feel like the response has been so much more positive than I ever expected. And it's, and it comes from this very hands-off approach. Like what I like to say that I cook good food. Yeah. I don't say I cook vegan food. I just cook good food. Um, and so it is, but it is just, it's, it is really interesting. Like just kind of labels and, yeah, you know, you, your, your approach can immediately, um, give people this perspective of you. That's, that's all wrong. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing about labels too, is there's two sides to that. There's the side where like, there's this crowd over here labeling, one person something and giving them a label that maybe they don't want. Then there's also people labeling themselves because they think that that label that they're giving themselves is like going to put them on this pedestal Mm -hmm. above other people. So that's like, I think what you're sharing about veganism is like you feel like there's groups of vegans that have maybe misrepresented like what it's all about and instead have taken this approach to attack other people. Right. Whereas you're taking the approach of just like, living this wholesome lifestyle, cooking this good food that everybody can appreciate. Mm -hmm. And then like, if people want to take it from there, if they want to ask you questions or alter their lifestyle to parallel some of what you have going on, then they can do that. But it wasn't because you pressured them. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's just, it's just an interesting thing because I can understand, you know, I've read and seen what a lot of vegans have and I can understand that once you have embraced that, how you, I understand how you can kind of feel better or morally superior. Right. Um, but for the most part, all of us have eaten animal agriculture. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, we're just now starting to see a generation of like vegan babies. So yeah. To speak. Um, and it's like, it's, you got to keep that perspective. Like, you know, it's like you were once, you know, it, it, and it's just like anything else. And that is like, it's like how you might have a shift on immigration or whatever it might be. Right. Like, you have to have you have to have that reality check of you know for the most part a lot of our ideals have shifted and morphed over time and keeping that perspective when promoting the ideas that you're passionate about is so important and it is it's amazing like i see i can i've seen so many of people like it just flips and then all of a sudden it's like they're they're somehow better than me or somebody else. I'm like, how's that reasonable? Like how like I don't consider myself better than anybody else. Like I'm just just part of the human experience over here, just trying to try yeah. to do the best that I can and um support other people. But yeah, I mean I think that that's just kind of I definitely think that that's just like one of those core values of dinner debate and discourse is like like let's let's just like your perspective let's just open ourselves up and let's yeah it's it's just interesting yeah and to get like to effectively share perspectives or to get people to open up 
you have to say things properly. Like, yeah, that's one of the big things that I don't want to say, like I've taken offense. No, I guess maybe I have taken offense too, but it's one of the main issues that I have with Trump specifically is like that you have all these people who are like, well, I don't care if he's a bully and I don't care what words he uses. Like if that offends you, what are you a snowflake? And it's like, no, but really like you should want him to change his rhetoric because he would be much more effective in getting his point across or getting people on his side. Sure. And it's like when you speak in the way that he speaks or other people speak, or you're so one-sided in the way that you're talking, and I'm not meaning just to attack Trump, but he's the president. So I can use him as an example because he's holding the highest office in the world. Yeah. So I'll talk about him. It's like when you talk like that, um, you're not inviting any of that stuff. Like, all you're doing is just like strengthening the support that you already have. Right. Exactly. You're not gaining new followers. And that's why we have to be so careful in how we approach conversations and be respectful because that's when we're going to like make actual change. And it doesn't always just come down to changing your mind on stuff. If you truly think that you hold the right opinion and you want to get others to agree with you, you have to approach it gently Yeah. because that's the only way that you're going to get people comfortable. Yeah. To entertain the ideas that you have. Yeah. 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 And yeah, it's just, it is, it's, it's just, it is really interesting. It's, um, yeah. I mean, I I try to think of some things where it's like, I feel like a hundred percent on. It's hard. (laughs) It's hard because a lot of the times, like when I, when I feel so strongly about like one thing, then I'll meet somebody and they're like, well, I tried what you're thinking. Didn't work. Yeah. Like, we're in a place where it didn't work. I mm-hmm. uh, just had a meeting today where it's like, you know, it's like, oh, wow, like, okay, so we're not, like, we're not quite there, like, yet, so I can't, you know, it's like, and again, it's like the idea of, like, a regenerative food chef. Like, I say that, but it's like, I'm not even close to being a regenerative food chef, like, mm-hmm. and I don't even know if that reality will ever exist. Um, and so, like, things that I feel 100% on, and that's just it, I think that, like we want to be a hundred percent. We want what we want, but we live not only in a world where people exist outside of yourself and outside of the people you uh, hold the same values of, but we live in a global world. Like we live in a world of like eight billion people. Yeah. <laughs> like we're never going to be at a hundred percent. Like that's what demo- I mean. That's again getting back to democracy. It's compromise. It's like, how do we work together when all of us come from different backgrounds and perspectives? So I think part of, like, our ability to be collectively conscious moving forward is we have to let go of the idea that someone is right and someone is wrong and that one way is better than the other. And working in the realm of absolutes is going to get us nowhere. Yeah. So, but that's hard. Like, oh, yeah. You don't want to let, like, you don't want to let, again, like when I first went vegan, I was like, like, even though I wasn't extreme, like I was thinking extreme and now I'm like, okay, hunting's going to be a part of our world. Like eating animals is going to be a part of our world. Yeah. How do I constructively talk and exist in this world um, that I can help both folks who see the extreme of it in one extreme and the other? Yeah. see a perspective and again it's just it's letting go of the absolutes in life mm-hmm. yeah there's good hearted folks on yeah, both sides and absolutely. especially i would think as a chef like you're never going to be able to live in a bubble where there's 
you're just only surrounded by chefs who are strictly cooking vegan food. Right. Like, you yeah. know, this is probably not going to happen. Yeah, no, absolutely not. Yeah, yeah. So, Is there ever a point for you where it can get kind of exhausting being conscious of your position or to the point where you're like so fluid that there's sometimes not a place to like lay down? Yeah. Um, I think it's, I think it's both. I think sometimes I think, I think especially when talking about faith, because I, my mom exposed my brother and I to different forms of, of religion growing up, but I never, I didn't like have like a, a real like baseline to operate from. And so I think sometimes like when looking at, um, other people's relationship with faith, it's, you know, I, th- it, I th- think that there is something really wonderful about kind of, I guess, so security of that and that groundingness that comes from that. Um, but the flip side of that for me is that there's also something very comforting in the fact that, like, overall my position is that all I know is that I'm here mm-hmm. and that I... Like, especially when it comes to faith, I, it's more about what can I do, how can I make the most use of, out of what I know for sure that I have? Like, and what I know for sure I have is my time here on earth, however long that is right now. Um, and so there's comfort for me in knowing that, um, that I don't know mm-hmm. in the sense that, yeah, I love learning different perspectives and I'm willing to open myself up to any and all different, um, perspectives. And sure there, there may be absolutes out there to some degree, but, um, it's kind of, I think because of my upbringing, I don't see like there being like total absolutes or like, I don't have like, I don't, for me, it's, it, I, I don't have any assurances or understanding of what's going to happen after I die. Mm-hmm. And so knowing, knowing that kind of also is a, a form of um, comfort and just kind of opening myself up and um, just being the best person that I can be. Um, yeah. It's interesting. I didn't, I wasn't, I really wasn't raised with some strong direction one way or the other in terms of faith and religion but I associate with many of the core principles and philosophies around the Bible. And, um, and, and that's just what I focus on is like being the best person I can be making my community a better place, making my surroundings, the environment a better place. Basically it's just the idea of like leaving things better than what I found them. And to me, there is certainly comfort in that. So I, I love both perspectives and I think, the older I get, the more I appreciate kind of hearing the different perspectives that come from both of those kind of like upbringings and places where people are at. Um, and, uh, and I'm just hopeful that more of us can kind of arrive at that place of regardless of where we are in terms of our absolutes and our morals and our faith that we're focusing on the collective collective benefit of all Mm -hmm. as opposed to perhaps what I often see as very minor differences, you know, of, uh, of, of background. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, another thing that 
can get complicated is when you throw like religion into some of this stuff too, is you can start to lump people into groups based on that. And then you can maybe have a negative view of religion or Christianity more specifically, because you're seeing someone who's, who's claiming to be a Christian, but they're not, you know, following through on, on what that really truly means. And so then people can become frustrated in that sense too. Or, or then there's the opposite too, where it's like, well, they don't have a deep, like core belief that they've settled on. So they're not a quality person or they haven't considered what that really means. And it's just another place that it's hard to, you know, have a common understanding and it can only happen through conversation. Absolutely. And I think what you shared about that comfort level is it can go multiple ways. So just speaking in like general terms, as far as being a Christian, it's like those people, um, find comfort in knowing Mm -hmm. what's happening, Yeah, you know, at the end of their life. But then I, I like what you said with, um, you almost have found the comfort in the present yeah. too. So trying right. to make that difference, like, you know, while you're here. Yeah. And yeah, it's strange how people can arrive at different places. Yeah. You know, and experiences that people have, you know, maybe a very similar experience happens to two people, but they can go the opposite direction because it's just like how they took that experience. Yeah. And and used it to figure out which direction they're supposed to go, you know. Yeah, absolutely, and I should uh, I should give my mom a little bit more credit here in the sense that um, she's a very spiritual person. So I, in that sense, I also am as well. It's just I think it was it was less more about um, it wasn't as much religion based as spirituality and connected to nature, and um, so there there is that aspect of it and. Um, which I really appreciate. And I think it was more of like this grounding in that sense and then exposing us to all different forms of religion and faith beyond that. And, I, and, and to this day, I think I, I'm still very fascinated to learn other philosophies and perspectives. And um, But yeah, for some reason, I, I think for me, what is important is focusing my energy on the present and in this reality um, and like in uh, right here on earth. And um, I think that I would be very fascinated and interested to go down the rabbit hole of like what's, what, what's beyond and what comes after. Um, But I think there's just so much important work to do here. And my perspective is simply to, to focus on that. And then if there's an opportunity after to focus on what comes after, then I look forward to that. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think that that kind of stems from that more spiritual side of how my mom, uh, raised us. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I didn't know this was the way that the conversation was going to go <laughs> and it's such a deep topic and, oh, it is. um, yeah, it's kind of cool that we, I feel like we've been, um, so similar in the conversation. Talked about all far. the things you're not supposed to talk about. Yeah, right. When you sit down. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, and, and we've shared like so many common threads in terms of, I think our opinions and, and everything too. And now it's interesting to kind of find like where we differentiate, yeah. but isn't that what, like what this whole thing was supposed to be about is yeah, like absolutely. having that, having that conversation too. And, you know, again, it's just like kind of the case of, you know, 
are these populations? So when we're talking about minorities or um, different religious groups, like, mm. are we looking at them as individuals? Are we finding the, the truth in their struggle? Or are we only focusing on like the most extreme parts of those groups and how they're how all of a sudden they're representatives of right of these groups? Well, and that's like when we're talking about labels, right? It's um, it's like when you when you sat down with your cousin on immigration, and again, like understanding that they're simply looking for a safe place, right? Right. The human side of the story is always lost in conversations and media these days and and it's we want the the effective way to divide people is to label people and instead of looking at them as humans um and that's obviously of course my approach to to how you view to how i view things is you know it's like well what if i was in that position or what like you know what what do i want or like what do what does somebody like deserve just simply as as being here and um, so that's how I've always looked at it. And, um, to simply see that human aspect inside of it, like to, it is, it is so hard for me to wrap my head around how somebody can have such disdain and distaste and hate for somebody simply because they share a different perspective than, than I do, than you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that that would then result in suffering Yeah, um, is just, it's hard. That's such a hard one for me. But, you know, I think that that, that kind of come, comes back to that, what, whatever, however that was, whether it was my mom's upbringing or just wherever that came from, my just instilled in me this unselfishness, this like desire to see, um, to make the world a better place. And mm-hmm. um, like, I don't, I don't, I, I've spent a lot of time like really trying to figure out, trace that back to where that was instilled in me. And I haven't come up with it yet, but, um, I I do think one of the things I do attribute my journey with food, as I call it, and my journey to, to veganism was, is really delving into compassion. Mm -hmm. Um, cause I really do see that at the end of the day, it, I had a very long journey with food and arriving at not wanting to eat animal products. And the reason I arrived, like the concrete reason I arrived at that was that I realized that I couldn't kill an animal. Mm-hmm. That's what, that's what it all boiled down to. It's like, there's a couple things like, like, like heavy cream I was having in my coffee. Right. <laughs> I, was like, I really like this. And, um, but I went through a pretty intense journey and my mom and I did this documentary where we went to all these different animal sanctuaries res- where there's all these rescued animals and we got to interact with all these animals that for the most part we don't get to interact with. And um, I ended up having a very vivid dream um, in which I just realized that I couldn't, I couldn't kill an animal. And then once I sat with that, I realized I wasn't comfortable with somebody else doing it for me. Right. Um, and so I do think that kind of my perspective on life has certainly been heavily influenced and shaped a little bit by compa- just the idea of compassion. And what is that like? What does that mean? And how far is your compassion willing to go? Mm-hmm. Right. And this is kind of where I butt heads with a lot of the vegan community because I really do see it as su- a, an act in form of compassion. And 
I don't understand how <laughs> you can have so much compassion t- to the point where you just don't want to see any animals harmed, but then you're go- willing to like go into a, a restaurant where animals are being served and yell at people for eating them. Right. Because I see that as a very uncompassionate act. Yeah. Um, I understand that it might somewhat stem from a place of compassion, like, but it contradicts. And so I think for me personally, like my journey is really based around compassion and constantly striving to expand that. Um, and I actively challenge myself. Like, so how, how can I have compassion for Trump? Somebody who completely is, especially just in the way he acts and speaks. So against what I believe in, where, where do I find compassion, um, for him? Right. And so it's like, it's like picking, like picking, like whether they're people or issues that like, I feel so strongly about, again, it goes back to like that media, like trying to find the opposition and the argument for it. It's like, how can I find compassion, um, for somebody or something that, um, is so hard for me to process. And I think that's an incredibly important component to, to being more conscious in general is, is having compassion for, to try to expand your compassion in in all ways and in all facets of your life. Um, so I guess I, yeah, I guess if I thinking about now in the moment, (laughs) tracing this back. Yeah. I think that's really where it does stem from. Mm -hmm. And I think there's, I like the challenge of that. It's weird to say challenge because that makes it sound like a game, but, um, no, I mean, it is. I think it is. Yeah. There's something, there's something really beautiful about being able, it's like kind of like finding your common ground, Mm -hmm. some form of common ground. And I think again, like kind of getting back to the larger conversation we've had is, finding that common ground so then you can you can branch out from that yeah and so i think for me like dinner debate and discourse is like that perfect platform for me where it's like i want to set the stage where we're creating a platform where anybody so long as they're respectful and conscious and and coming in there with good intent um can share their opinion and perspective Mm -hmm. yeah and as you parallel kind of like your veganism and, and compassion and what that has meant for you. I, I mean, I'm just thinking back to kind of like compassion is a big part of my life. And so I arrived through that, um, just with how I was raised. And then, like I said, like, you know, I was brought up conser- in a conservative Christian home, but the, the importance of the scripture and like the way that my parents approached that and the way that they kind of like treated my, my brothers and I was, it was very present in our lives, but it wasn't like, forced on us Mm. but there was always that understanding that like if we had a question or we were questioning something like in the bible that we could have a conversation because they were so knowledgeable and like yeah so much of of them was rooted in that and so it was like they were very approachable you could always have a conversation then that's when things would like make more sense and then we could go from there and decide like what we wanted to decide but for me that's one of the frustrating things too is that you're seeing like Someone, we keep going back to immigration, but it's like this week or, you know, however many weeks or months it's been since this was the hot topic, we're not so focused on like gun control quite as much anymore because Mm -hmm. there's other things that happen. But 
it's like, I see that all the time where there's these people on my Facebook who are Christians. I have a couple pastors who are saying, build the wall and all these different things and, and, and quoting scripture that mm. has the word wall in it. Yeah. So then that's when I take that to my parents and I ask them like, well, what do you think about this situation? And I mean, they said, there's not like one current thing that the scripture will have outlined perfectly, like what you're supposed to think about it. Yeah. So then that's what allows people to twist or use the scripture in whichever way they want. Right. So they say, well, the, the word wall is mentioned however many times in the Bible. And it's like, so we need to build a wall. Well, no, what you're forgetting is the aspect of compassion and yeah. what that means. So like, if you're talking scripturally, Jesus did not build walls between mm-hmm. him and prostitutes and thieves. Them, He was right. spending time with them. Exactly. And it's yeah. like, why do you think that you can use this part of the, the scripture, the Bible, and then just completely disregard like the actual actions that were taking place? Like, that's not what we're supposed to do. Yeah. We, there has to be like that different way. And it's like you said too about, you know, the democratic approach to like border security is it's not like, Kimmer, did you say that while we were recording or was that something else? Wait, which one? The just how uh, Obama had upped the border security, yeah, like quadruple. Oh, it. I don't know if that was recorded. I'm not. not sure. Well, anyway, we had a side conversation. Yeah, and yeah, it's like so much of it right now is just this side or that side, yeah. and we're not represented properly in either capacity. Yeah. Like now, there's this stubbornness on the side of Democrats, you know, that's taking place, and it's like everybody's just kind of forgetting that a lot of us actually do want border security, but we're just not sure like what that's supposed to look like right now. And that can be said for a number of important conversations. Right. And it's, uh, you know, it's, we, I think as a society right now, we have this fascination with, and it's because I, I, you know, and I think this is mainly due to media and how much control it has over our society is we focus on one thing at a time almost. And we lose focus on, lots of things we like fascinate we have this fascination like we're like zeroed in on this like one thing whatever like the media is like and trump has been very good about controlling the message of the border so it's all we're talking about and like for me with the border it's like it's not that i don't care about border security it's a it's like i feel like there's 25 other issues Mm -hmm. that i also care really strongly about and would like to see attention on yeah like you know education and healthcare. um and so yeah it's yeah, it's it's just a yeah, it's it, it there's so much to unravel, you know, and, and there's so many things at play that are and also feel like they're out of our control in like dinner debate and discourse and this conversation and this podcast are like ways in which um we can actively for lack of a better word, rebel against that type of mm-hmm mentality that we have right now and i think that that's so important and i think you know one of the things that we saw in 2016 was i mean there as a country we did not come out to vote you know because we were so disillusioned with both of the candidates and we there's so many of us who are so frustrated and so upset and feel so disillusioned and like like how can we even like make a change make a shift and for me, the message is like this. It's these conversations, these podcasts, these ideas. There's so many ways that we can actively start engaging and be um, out in our communities that they might seem small, 
they might seem like there's no way that ever didn't have a difference, but it's pretty amazing to me what, what, what just like one conversation can do and the impact that it can have. Um, so I don't know exactly what that original train of thought was, but <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm thinking that you just brought it all back around perfectly. We've been recording for like an hour and a half and <laughs> it, dude, what an awesome conversation. But what I was saying about you, like bringing it back perfectly is that like, I don't want people to, to get caught up in maybe like the middle of this conversation that we had where sure. it just seems so like hopeless and yeah, how yeah, yeah. you can be fluid. But when you, as soon as you start to entertain other ideas, then you realize that you need to switch positions and then you mm-hmm. never can like find where you need to be. Sure. That That's not like what the message is supposed to be. The message is supposed to be like you said, like, don't be so worried about having to find your side. Like just converse with other people, entertain mm-hmm. other ideas, and you're going to probably end up close to where you need to be. Yeah. And so like, I have just this saying, you'd mentioned like original titles that you come up with. I come up with like random quotes that I think end up having been mashed together from multiple people. But it's like the idea was the mother Teresa quote where she says like the best thing you could do for the world is to go home and love your family. Mm. I think she was the one that said that. And I love that sentiment. Like that makes a ton of sense. But also I think if there's people out there who can effectively love their family then you need to make sure you're inviting other people in too. So yeah. don't just, you know, if that's something you have to take care of is first loving your family, then go do that. They're yeah. number one priority. But if you have that under control, then let's bring other people in. If we can change our circle and everybody starts to change their circle and grow their circle, then the edges are going to eventually touch. And that's when we make like big differences Yeah. through events like, like yeah. the one that you started through this podcast, hopefully. Yep. And yeah, that's like, that's where I think our personal responsibility lies is to have those conversations. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, 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 for me, it's just inspiring people to engage and it's, you know, getting outside of, you know, just watching Netflix at home at night. And I, you know, I encourage people to, you know, invite friends over for dinner, have a dinner party, mm-hmm. um, just share a meal together. You know, it's a, my whole thing is making food a priority in our lives once again and um, just bringing people together and just being in person and, and um, yeah, I think it's just being open, you know, and, and, you know, not, not thinking too strongly, as you said, about like, well, how's it, how this might impact, you know, my, my views on the world or whatever it might be. Um, And instead just kind of, you know, I, as humans, like we're, we're social creatures and, um, I, I just actively encourage people to engage and interact and, um, and just kind of experience what it's like to be human, which at the end of the day, part of it is being uncomfortable. Yeah. So, yep. Hey, that's a good plug for cold shower and the whole idea behind it. Yeah. Um, Dude, thank you so much for being on and inviting this conversation and taking it directions that I had no idea that it would go. It was a, a lot of fun. Um, where can people find out more about you? And then, like, when is the next Dinner Debate and Discourse event? Yeah, sure. So two different websites. PlantedCuisine.com is all things food and some event-related things. Um, we have some really fantastic dinners coming up. And then DinnerDebateDiscourse.com is just tailored to the debate night event series we're looking at the middle of march for our next debate we're going to focus on um 
food in schools, uh, which was a very passionate topic that night. Um, and then we're also planning a larger event uh, on the f- uh, a debate on the future of TC probably in early summer. Um, so those are kind of our next two focuses. And we've already had interest in expanding down to like Benzie County um, and doing some down there. So um, yeah, dinner debate discourse, you can shoot me an email. I'm always looking for people who either want to just help shape it, who want to participate, uh, bring, you know, other perspectives, things like that. So just reach out. I'm always, my whole thing is collaboration. So if anything resonated, yeah, just reach out to me. So excellent. Well, once again, thanks for being here. I hope that you guys benefit from some of what we talked about and that you wouldn't, um, maybe take it personal and and try to lump, um, Logan and I in a group necessarily, but just try to understand the direction that we're coming from. And even if you don't think that you can agree with everything we said, that really just the main theme is meant to be, you know, look outside of what you're used to outside of that typical scope and, and entertain new ideas so that we can all uh, collaborate and work together and really bridge some of these divides that seem to be so apparent right now. So thanks for tuning in guys. We appreciate it. Bye-bye.